Praise the Lord. You are listening to Scripture Unleashed. Hi, and welcome to Scripture Unleashed. I'm Seth, and today I'm joined with some good friends, Jacob. Hello. Joe. Howdy, howdy. And not Anthony. Anthony, actually this week, he, well, not him, but his wife, they were blessed with their first Amen. child. So we are going to let him miss today, and hopefully he'll be able to be with us next week. But this week on Scripture Unleashed, and if you've been listening along with us, you know what it is. It's a podcast where we go through the bread chart that's put out by the Children's Ministries of the United Pentecostal Church International. If it's a read through your Bible in a year chart, this week our topics uh, that you'll be reading coming up is Micah 1 through 7, Nahum 1 through 3, Habakkuk 1 through 3, Zephaniah 1 through 3, Philippians 1 through 2, Proverbs 13 through 15. You get to be all over the Mm -hmm. Bible this week. But we're going to start it out today in the book of Micah. And I want Jacob, if you would, sir. Get us started here about the uh, some some terrible things coming out of Micah and Zephaniah. Kind of leading into that, we have chapter 4, Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. In Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, it says, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it, and many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up into the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. For all people will walk, every one in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Right here is where we see a major prophecy when it comes to the millennial reign. I mean, obviously, the book of Revelation has like, you know, that's the main prophecy that talks about Christ's thousand year reign on earth in New Jerusalem with the people. But this really shows a little bit more detail into what it is. Also in Micah chapter five, verses five through 14 also speaks about the millennial reign. In fact, verses five and six kind of talk about the battle of Armageddon, which is what you were leading into, Seth, the great and terrible day of the Lord. That is the second coming, the great and terrible day of the Lord. Anytime you see that in scripture, the great day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the terrible day of the Lord, really, you know, a lot of people say that they look forward to. But if we look at Zephaniah's chapter one, verses 14 through 16, this really gives a clear description of what the day of the Lord is going to be like. And since this was part of your reading, I thought it needful to point out, but the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteneth quickly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the, an alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. So the day of the Lord, the great day of the Lord is not, I mean, as I mentioned before, before the show, you know, it is a day where the church should be happy. But what we have to understand is that the church should be gone by this time, if we understand scripture right. We should have been raptured at this point, you know, however that looks, pre-mid or post, either way, you're gone before the day of, of the Lord comes. Right. 
And so this is not something that the church has to deal with. This is something that the world will have to deal with. It should sadden us to see the people in the world be destroyed out of hand like this. Now, granted, at the Battle of Armageddon, you can kind of look at it. It's basically Jesus comes to defend Israel and destroys the the army of the ten kings that comes down, which is where that Micah chapter 5 verses 5 and 6 kind of goes in. We talked about that before the show, how it talks about uh, when the Assyrian shall come into our land. The Assyrian would be, their kingdom was up at the Euphrates River. As we read in Revelation, the Euphrates River gets dried up so the ten kings of the north can come down and attack Israel. So this is why Micah during this time, he was during the time of Hezekiah, would have viewed these men coming down from this area as being Assyrians. Right. You know, Jacob, that the coming day of the Lord, great and terrible day of the Lord, is going to be extremely, extremely scary. But uh, one of the things that Micah likes to point out, I don't know if he likes but he points it out in Micah chapter 3. And you'll see this this theme throughout the Bible, I think, uh, very prevalent in Ezekiel, kind of the watchman Mm -hmm. on the wall. You know, he, he clears the blood off of his hands by preaching the word of God. And then Paul, you know, you'll see in Acts uh, chapter 20, later on, you see Paul, he talks about, you know, I am, I am free from the blood of all men. How? And then he says, because I have preached the gospel. You know, I've preached mm-hmm. exactly what God gave me. And if you look at Micah 3 and you look in verses 8, well, it actually kind of starts in about 6. But you look at verse 8, he says, but truly I am full of power by the spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel. He said he was empowered by the Spirit of God, much like we are, Acts 1 and 8. You know, we're going to receive mm-hmm. power to be witnesses. Obviously, he didn't receive the Holy Spirit like we do, but, you know, but he preached the Word of God. And then, you know, he slams or he preaches conviction mm-hmm. uh, to these people in his day, these false prophets and false priests. And because if you read in verse 11, it says, The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money, all of which are not right. You know, they're, the priest's reward was supposed yeah. to be the Lord, yeah, not money, you know, not people's money. Um, obviously, the, you know, God took care of them through the tithe and that type of thing, but they, you weren't supposed to teach for money. But anyways, in the prophets thereof divine for money, yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Verse 12, thereof shall Zion for your sake be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house is the high place of the forest. Basically, yeah. God was going to run it over, you know, <laughs> with a Mack truck, you know, kind of kind of deal. You know, it, but Micah was going to preach truth. And he was going to preach righteousness. Why? Because he had the spirit of God enabling him and helping him to do such. And then if you, you know, if you read Micah 3, 11 and 12, Jacob, I know you yeah. wanted to say something um, on that. You know, basically the last part of 11 and into 12, it says, is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. And then God promises that Zion for their sake is going to be plowed as a field. It's going to be cut down. This is the very same thing that Jeremiah prophet jeremiah in chapter 7 of his book writes he says in verse 3 thus saith the lord of hosts the god of israel amend your ways and your doings i will cause you to dwell in this place trust ye not in lying words saying the temple of the lord the temple of the lord the temple of the lord are these for if ye thoroughly amend your ways and your doings if ye thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor if you 
oppress not the stranger, keeps going, then I will cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave your fathers, even forever and ever. And he also points out in verse yeah. 8, Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery? And he's speaking to the people of, of Judah at this time, just before the captivity. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and burn incense unto Baal, and walk after other gods whom ye know not, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations? Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. But go now unto my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people, Israel. And then we see this correlation also all the way into the Gospels with Jesus, when he comes into the, the temple and flips tables over and chases them out with a whip. And he says, my house is to be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. This is where he's getting that. Ye have made it right. a den of thieves. Basically, they come in, they do their abominations out in the world, and then they come into the church, so to speak. They come into the temple and they begin to worship God as though... They were delivered, as it said, to do all of these abominations. They, would, they were made free to do all of this wickedness. And their thought was that because the temple of God was there, because the house was there, that they were completely safe, that God would protect them for his temple's sake. But then he tells them, go look what I did in Shiloh. Remember when I had the tabernacle set up there? Look how that city is now demolished in a wasteland because of the wickedness of the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, yeah, what a mess, you know, and we have that certainly in modern day, mm -hmm. quote unquote, Christianity. Come on. Now I'm preaching. Uh, you know, they want, they want to, they want to teach and believe that once you're saved, mm -hmm. you can live and act any old way, you know, and maybe they claim that they don't believe that. But if you look at their lives, that's exactly what they believe. You know, they, there's not a changed heart. I've met people that, oh, I'm a Christian. I, I am, you know, I love the Lord. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And, and you hang around them just a little bit. Yeah. And uh, there is no fruit of the spirit. There is no righteousness, peace, right. and joy in their life. And uh, and it's like, no, 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 no. Mm. You have not been changed by the spirit of God. And uh, right. you need to repent, you know, truly, truly. And get baptized in the name of Jesus and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because those are all parts of salvation and uh, empowering to your Christian walk as well. But anyways, move, let's move on a little bit in Micah. In chapter 7, kind of to round out the book of Micah, and we're hanging out a lot in, uh, in Micah. But in chapter 7, 8 through 9, Jacob, you know, I think this is, man, this is like some of the most famous yes, scripture. It is. And it's such a scripture of hope for Israel. But then also into the New Testament, you know, for us, those who are walking with God and maybe we fall sometimes, you know, we, we stumble. You know, I know there's there's parallels. Just explain yeah. that to so verse eight, a little bit. Today. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. You know, this uh, Proverbs talks about that a right, you know, a righteous man gets up seven times. And when he falls, he gets right. up over and over again. He doesn't stay down. He gets back up. It's the same for us. You know, we're human. God understands our form, our frailty. He understands that we're we're not perfect. And so when we falter, when we slip up, we can come to him, repent. Don't do it again. You know, get back up and, and begin walking with him. And 
the world needs to realize that when they point fingers and laugh at us when we fall, I know there's another scripture on the reverse of this, talking about when the wicked fall. If we were to laugh at the wicked in their destruction, that God will deliver them from it because we laughed at them, because we made fun of them. And so they don't realize that when they rejoice against us, that God's just going to say, all right, well, I'm going to lift him back up just to basically to prove you wrong kind of thing. But then verse nine says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord. Basically, I will have the anger of the Lord upon me because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. Who's he? That's Christ. This is pointing to Christ taking our sin off of us, that he would plead our cause for us in that court of law on the day of judgment. And he will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. Right. Uh, That is so, so good. You know, if you keep moving on in Micah chapter seven, and just to end Micah, if you look at verse 18 through 20, and you begin to read all the prophecies against Judah and against the nations of Israel, and, and you begin to read about what God is going to do to them because they've left him, which was, you know, it was told in the law. You know, if you go back to Deuteronomy, God lays out, you know, this whole like list of curses. And then it gets done and he's like, look, if you walk away from me, mm-hmm. This is going to happen to you. Sure enough, it does. But the really, really awesome thing, and I like to go back to this, is, you know, when Moses asks God in the law, he asks him, you know, show me your face. And God says, I can't do that, but I'll show you my hinder parts. And he puts him in the cleft of the rock and he passes by him. And the Lord reveals a little of himself to Moses. And the attributes there that Moses describes God with in in Deuteronomy are like merciful, Mm -hmm. long-suffering. It's like it just shows that God is a merciful God. And you see that in Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. You know, he gets done with all these terrible things to come. But 18 through 20 says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth Mm. iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. This is the character of God. This is an incredible. I mean, we're talking, we're talking hundreds of years from the time that they entered the promised land. You know, that was what, 1500 BC or a little more until now, which is 700 years. There was, you know, there was a few good Kings, Mm -hmm. but there was evil mixed in with that. You know, the, the, we're talking the, the, Mm. the sacrificing of children to these false gods. We're talking about, you know, uh, just all the evil, evil, evil things that happened. Solomon, you know, worshiping these false gods, started out loving God and started, you know, just turning to these, these false gods, these fake idols and setting them up. And then the high places were established by all these kings, you know, and it's just evil after evil after evil. Yet at the end of Micah, who is a God like indeed that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of right. the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou will perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. This is... Uh, like mm-hmm. I, I, I view that as pretty encouraging because <clears throat> it doesn't matter to like, you know, my pastor always has the statement and my friend and I, the guy I used to work with Pat Caseza, we used to kind of, te- you know, we tease each other because our pastor is, you know, portraying the heart of God. But he, he, he'd he say, you know, you, he'd be preaching, you know, you and it'd be a Sunday morning people, tons of visitors. He'd say, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been or whose bed you've been sleeping in. 
God will forgive you. You know, we we kind of joke like <laughs> it don't matter whose bed you've been sleeping in. You know, like that's an awkward statement. You know, but it's true. It's true. And God, if you look through the, he gives parallels and stories throughout the prophets, Israel mm-hmm. and Judah, they're viewed as adulterous. Yeah. They've been sleeping in someone else's bed. And, but here, God, over and over, I will take mm-hmm. you back. I will forgive your iniquities, which iniquities is sins committed willingly, right. knowingly. It's just, it, it, it's just a powerful, powerful demonstration. It really is. It just shows that God really doesn't think like we do, does he? Mm. You know, we quote that scripture, sure my thoughts not. are not your thoughts, saith the Lord, you know, for as the heaven, so are yeah. my thoughts above your thoughts. And, uh, you know, of course, you read that, what God's talking about is, is mercy. God doesn't think like we think. Yes. We think of uh, vengeance and whatever mm. in our natural you know, instincts. But this shows, this verse shows that God would rather forgive than judge he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked psalms chapter 86 verse 5 for thou lord art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee and, and you know and that's where it is the scripture in first john i believe chapter 2 you know if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive mm-hmm. us he's quick to forgive he's plenteous in mercy and uh, I always like those verses, too. He delighteth in mercy. His mercy is new every morning. Thank God for that. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Where would any of us be without the mercy right. of God? A second chance. And, I mean, we could go into a whole teaching thing, you know. The grace of God, you know, right. teaches us that denying a godliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteous, you know, in this present day. You know. That that type of thing. It's not just like so. We can keep going back to sin. Yes. Know the grace of right. God, Absolutely. so we can come out of sin, learn from our mistakes, and and I believe they did learn from their mistakes. But all right, guys, this is a great great conversation. This podcast. You know what, listener, hang on with us. We're going to go to a quick break, and we'll be right back after that. All right, and we're back now. Today, the rest of the podcast, we're going to talk uh, about some more of your reading that you're going to go through. We're going to start out in Philippians, and Philippians specifically, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 3 and 4. And Joe, can you get us, get us rolling here this half real quick? Yeah. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I'd just like to point out those two verses are pretty self-explanatory, but just the idea of let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, you know, no matter what that is, that could be anything really, you know, we're basically not being competitive, you know, it could be, I guess, you know, we got three preachers here, you know, competitive in our preaching, maybe competitive (laughs) in, you know, our ministry, starting a church, whatever it may be, but, you know, just being consumed with our own thing but you know don't let anything be done through strife or vainglory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others that verse makes me think of the idea of when someone's telling you about something great that they've accomplished maybe or something good that's happened to them I was in a conversation one time. I was telling them about something, telling someone about something that happened to me. And, and I'm just, I won't go into any specific details. And it was funny, this, this person, you know, kind of did it on purpose. But it was, and it was basically like, 
uh, what's in it for me. Mm. And, uh, you know, I was just telling him something cool that happened to me. But, you know, the point was this idea of, you know, what's in it for me, mm. like something great, like Seth is having revival in Bowman. What's in it for me? Like, you know, we're not having revival at Beach. So, you know, I'm just concerned about my own thing mm. going up here. Like, and, you know, this is one of the things that just comes to mind just because I guess, you know, we are starting churches, but don't be just concerned with your own thing. You right. Know? You know, with, there's some people that, you know, in our church that you start talking to them and they're just genuinely interested in what's going on yeah. in your life. What's happening in your life? How are things going mm-hmm. for you? And these are the kind of people that, you know, I want to be like. And sometimes when someone is telling me, you know, it's our nature that when someone's telling you about something that happened to them or, you know, maybe a new car that they got, you know, we mm-hmm. want to one up it or, you know, tell them about what's been going on in our life. To me, you know, this this verse is like, yeah. you don't do that. See what's going on in their life. You know, how are things going for you? Don't look just on your own things. Look also on the things of others. And, uh, you know, this is what God calls us to do. Rejoice when something good happens to somebody. Don't let it be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. Right. I like how, which Seth, you'll end up talking about these, these next verses, but what you're saying there, Joe, really is what verse five is talking about. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, I ask you guys to please pardon me. I'm about to use the NLT. I just like the way that they worded this. Um, But verse five and six, he says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then verse six, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Though he was, Mm -hmm. I mean, he was God in all rights, and yet he humbles himself all the way down to death for us. You know, that's the, that's the attitude, the mindset that we need to have is that, yes, you know, you might be, you two are pastors. I'm a youth leader, but we have to understand that Christ died for us. Shouldn't we try? I mean, obviously we can't die for people's sins, you know, the people that follow us, but we should be able to pour ourselves into them, be able to give ourselves, all of ourselves to them and not desire something back in return. Right, right. That's exactly right, Jacob and Joe, too. You know, we always, we should be happy for our brother when God does something good in his life. And and then not only that, but when you look at your brother, when you do things toward him, you know, bless your brother. And then, you know, like Joe kind of talked about, don't let it be through vain glory. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you're not doing this for a purpose. You know, like to get something back, like you guys talked about, right. you know, just doing this to get something back. You know, that calls to mind that whole, you know, what reward have you. So we need to allow this mind to be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's how Jesus thought. That's how he lived. But then also, if you move on a little further, here's Philippians 2, 6 through 11. And let's read it together. If you have your Bibles, let this mind, well, we're going to start in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who... Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I've heard Trinitarians will always try to go to this scripture to point out that there is an eternal Son 
which the Bible does not teach. That's 4th, 5th century false doctrine. Greek interjection into the church, uh, Greek idea, the, this doctrine of the Trinity. And so you, you cannot, obviously, we don't look back onto the pages of Scripture through the lenses, if we could say it like that, through the lenses of the creeds, of man-made interpretations of the Bible. We look at the Scripture as a whole, from its own so we interpret mm -hmm. all scripture with scripture that's the only way you can interpret scripture not with some man-made theology or idea and so let's do that here let's start actually let's start in verse 11 and let's work our way backwards so that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father jesus christ is lord peter acts chapter 2 he said god have mm -hmm. made this jesus both lord and christ jesus christ is our master our Lord, and he's also our Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Savior of the world. And then if you also, to the glory of God, the Father, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, there's one God, that's the Father, and there's one Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. So there's not two gods, there's one God, that's the Father. But Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, or as Hebrews 10, 20, it says, Jesus Christ, his flesh, that's the veil of God, the almighty, the only one true God. And so Jesus Christ is Lord. He's master. He's Messiah. He's the one we look to. Why? Because as 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Let's keep, now let's back up. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth. Why at the name of Jesus? Well, verse 9 explains, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him who, that man, that humble servant, Jesus Christ, that man who submitted his will to that of God the Father, and given him a name which is above every name. So we have a distinction, not a separation, but a distinction between deity, that'd be the spirit of God that was mm -hmm. in Christ Jesus. We have a distinction, our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. That's who we're going to see when we get to heaven. But what is the spirit mm -hmm. that's in him? What is the spirit that's all around? That's God, the Father. We call upon God, the Father, Jesus said, using his name, the name of Jesus. So, so God exalted him who that man, Christ Jesus, and he's given him a name above every name, the name of Jesus. I hear people say, uh, well, there's, and I've heard Trinitarians say there's, there's uh, no other name or there, you know, the name of the father. And so that's the name of God. That's, mm -hmm. that's the, that's what we call him. Like no, yep. no, the name yep. of Jesus right. Right. is above general. every other name. It's not just general, like the name okay. of God, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. It's the name of Jesus. That's the name of, that's the name yep. you call on for salvation. That's the name you call on for everything. But then let's keep backing up. Verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We know Jesus Christ was a man. And yes, as a man, he humbled himself and became mm -hmm. obedient unto death. He was a man, but he was God. He could have called 12 legions of angels down when he was hanging on the cross to get mm -hmm. him off that cross. As God, mm -hmm. he could have, but he didn't. Why? Because he was a man and he had to humble himself to the death of the cross of um, the verse seven. But he made it made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men. Let's back up one as well. Let's include six and seven. Well, let's read five, six and seven. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. It was made in the likeness of men. So Jesus Christ, he was in the form of God. 
and he thought it not robbery to be equal. Why? Why did he not think it mm-hmm. to be robbery? Right. Robbery to be equal to God because he was God manifest in the flesh. Yep, absolutely. Like, like, yeah, God was manifest in the flesh. He was both God and man. We see that in verse seven. He made himself of no reputation and took mm-hmm. on him the form of servant. Was made in the likeness of who? God. God did that. And then being found in the fashion as a man, Jesus Christ was a man. And he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. You can see the clear distinction between the flesh and the spirit here. That's all that is. There's a distinction. There's not a separation, though there was one for about three days. There's a clear distinction between humanity and deity. And one of the scriptures I would also point to is Galatians 4.4. 4. Now, in the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of mm-hmm. a woman made under the law. Yeah. That's where the son came into existence. The humanity, the flesh, it had a beginning. It had a start. Obviously, the plan of the son of God was in the mind of God from the very beginning of the world, John 1, 1. But then John 1, 14, that word, that idea, that concept was made flesh. Right. And so you have, you have a distinction between the spirit and the flesh. And that's all that is. It still proves it still proves there's absolutely one God. It's just a distinction here that Paul's talking about. There's a, a, a flesh. The, the Christ was the flesh, mm-hmm. the Messiah. And then there's God in him. Exactly. Well, let's move on from there. I'm done ranting and raving and all that good, exciting stuff. Proverbs chapter 14. We're going to flip all the way back here to the other side <clears throat> of the Bible. Proverbs chapter 14. 12 and 14 Joe. There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Just going down to verse 14. The backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. This verse just points out a couple things here in these two verses. But one that, you know, not everything that seems right, obviously, mm-hmm. is right. Sometimes there are things that it might seem like it could, like this is a good decision for me. This is a good decision for my family. But there's a possibility that, it, that this is not a good decision. You know, I think of Lot, for example. It seemed like a like a good idea, to, you know, for his family just because of all the green grass, you know, towards Sodom mm-hmm. and Gomorrah. <laughs> Looks good this way. It seems like a good thing. But the end thereof are the ways of death. And not everything that seems like a good idea is a good idea. And that's why I think it's so important to uh, have a pastor or even parents. If you have good parents, man, you know, talk to your parents before you make a Mm -hmm. make a big decision or, you know, whatever. It's it's good to do this because if you're making a big decision, you know, it might seem right, but. You got to make sure that it is right. And and then verse 14, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Once you're at the point in your life where you can't take instruction from anyone, you're full of your own ways. You're backslidden mm-hmm. in your heart. You know, it's not going to be long before um, things might start showing up in your life. But in your heart, you're already backslidden. If, if you can't take counsel, if no one can talk to you because you're you're filled with your own ways, you're backslidden in your heart. It's a good idea to have a pastor. If you have good parents, that's your pastor for all practical purposes. If you're living in their home, I don't know exactly, you know, who our audience is, but, uh, but having a pastor, you know, having people in your life that can talk to you, uh, don't be so set in your ways that, you know, no matter what anybody mm-hmm. says, I'm going to do this. 
know, no matter what my pastor says, I'm doing this. This is right for my family. This is right for me. Uh, just be careful with that because there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And that, you know, I could, I won't, but I could give examples. I could give stories of this. People that thought they were doing the right thing. This is a good thing to do. And, uh, you know, it just turned out to be a horrible thing to do. People's lives can be destroyed. People can backslide and even die because of decisions that are made that seem right, but they're not right. And if you have any, if you really care about what God thinks, if you really care about your family, if you really care about, you know, the end, you're going to have a pastor and you're going to ask your parents about stuff, you know, if they're trustworthy and if they're living, sometimes, you know, parents aren't living for God and kids are maybe, or, or the other way around even. But, you know, if you really care and if you want to do it right, you don't, you know, you're not going to have a problem having a pastor. That's for sure. Yeah, Joe. And to go along with that, that whole thought of Proverbs 14, 14, the backsliding heart shall be filled with his own ways. It's kind of that that right. thought mm-hmm. of like I'm just gonna do it my way, you know. And uh, we were just at men's retreat this week. There was a story told and reminded me of my pastor, and it's so funny. But the, the speaker said something about you can do it your way, and uh, and then my pastor, he's always like, you know what, walking away from God is is like going to Burger King. Have it your way. That's exactly. Mm-hmm. What this right. is, the backslider heart should be filled with his own ways. I'm going to have it my way. Right. And there are so many cross-references in that scripture. Jeremiah 17, 5, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Going back to the scripture, the backslider heart shall be filled with his own ways. Right. Like, you're trusting in yourself. Right. You, you, like, that's bro, that's not going to get you anywhere. You know, like, <laughs> you know, you, not only are you not smart enough mm-hmm. by yourself and you're not nobody is yeah, right, you can't be right. saved by yourself and that we have a, a world oh <laughs> don't get me started we have a world i'm getting started we have a world in the united states of america we're so independent minded people which i appreciate it's built a phenomenal nation but Can you I'm, cannot be right. independently minded when it comes to your salvation you are not going to get this by yourself okay you know, that whole statement that, that made everyone angry by a former United States president. You know, you didn't build that. He was talking about small business. You didn't build that. The government helped you. You know, God could say to us, okay, you didn't sure. do that. Yep. We know that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like right there, I'm like, yep, yep, you're right. You're, yep, didn't yeah. do that. I needed the help of God. I don't want to be filled mm-hmm. with my own ways. Right. It, it, I've done it. We've all done it. And uh, being filled with your own ways is tiresome. You, you just learn so fast that you are no good at anything and that you have no power. You have no strength. When you're filled with your, you have no joy. It's a struggle. Being filled with your own ways is tiresome. You are tired. Amen. Why? Because you can't live for God in your flesh. And if you try it, you are just right. going to get worn out. You need the spirit of God. Mm-hmm. My guitar. I have the spirit right. of God. Therefore, I can preach, you know, <laughs> and therefore I can live for God. Scooting on over. Kind of going along with this, uh, seems like there's a theme of backsliding or in the mercy of God. But Habakkuk 2 in verse 4, and Jacob, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Really what he's saying here is he's saying, that you know, he says, look, 
the man's soul that is proud in himself is not upright. He's not, he's not living right. The word upright there basically means to be right, to be straight, to be level, to be just or lawful. But then he correlates that and, and kind of shows the opposite side to that. And he says, but the just, those that are living righteously, those that are living correctly, shall live by his faith. And it's interesting to note that that word faith there is actually, it means the word firmness, fidelity, steadfastness, or steadiness. It almost makes me think the just shall live by when it says his. I don't know that it's quite talking about like the just persons, but maybe God's faith, God's firmness, God's steadiness. I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Jacob, that brings an interesting light to uh, the just shall live by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, talks about without faith, it's impossible to please God. But the idea of a lifetime of faithfulness. And so what you just said there, Jacob, what that word faith means is, can you tell us again? Steadfastness, steadfastness, firmness. Right. And yeah. uh, so, you know, it's it's being steadfast. It's being, yes. you, you know, not in and out mm-hmm. all yeah. the time. But that's interesting. You know, I, I did not know that about this particular word in this instance, because, you know, this, this verse is also brought up mm-hmm. in the New Testament. The book of Galatians says the just shall live by faith. And, you know, it's talking about, I believe it's, you know, just referencing back to this scripture, you know, the just shall live by faith. You know, living by faith is not like, you know, you go to a great service and, woo, you know, I got faith. Living by faith is continuing to live for God. That verse in Galatians, the word faith there that Paul uses, this is from the Strong's Concordance. It says, persuasion that is credence, moral conviction, especially reliance upon Christ for salvation. So basically what it's, it's this, it's saying the same thing is that by his faith, by his steadfastness. And here it's saying the just shall live by his reliance upon Christ, that word faith there. Right. Yeah, you know, I think yeah, a, a perfect uh, New Testament parallel would be Hebrews ten thirty eight. It says, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And I think mm. that's that's a perfect parallel, you know. Right. We have to live and walk in faith and not draw right. back. We Absolutely. just push forward. Like Jesus said, no man putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Remember Lot's wife. She looked back. Now, yeah. just live. You just keep pressing right. on. God said, do this. This is what we're right. doing. I ain't looking back. I'm not drawing back. I want my, my soul to find pleasure in the eyes of God. Yeah. You know? And so we just push on in faith. Amen. That was good. Great podcast here today, guys. Great thoughts. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, uh, I'm probably going to steal a lot of these notes someday and preach this. <laughs> uh, maybe even uh, today. Uh, but <laughs> this, is, this is good stuff. You know what, listener? We appreciate having you along today. Did uh, did we miss anything that you'll read this week? Let us know. If you're reading along and you find some other things, let us know. We like to hear those things. Or if you, uh, listener, if you have any words of encouragement or advice, please let us know. You can do so by sending us a voice message through anchor.fm or through our Scripture Unleashed Facebook page. If you haven't already liked it, go and like it. And we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And we, uh, we do look forward to next week going with the, through the scriptures with you again. We're going to go through Philippians 3 through 4, Colossians 1 through 4, Ezekiel 1 through 12, Proverbs 16 through 19. I uh, do pray that the Lord blesses you this week, makes his face shine upon you, and gives you peace. Anyways, have a great day and God bless. 
thank you for listening. This has been Scripture Unleashed.